This is the Talking Devils podcast, your favourite Manchester United podcast, of course. We are brought to you with Classic Football Shirts, who are currently selling Classic and Clearance lines with products from £5 upwards, so there's something for everyone in there. They have a shop in Manchester and London, you can order online, and listeners to this show can get a discount with TOTD10. I'm Wayne Barton, joined this week by former Manchester United defender Paul Parker. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you, Wayne. Better than me. Um, (laughs) Joined us also um, by um, Australian journalist and consultant, I guess that's the right thing, uh, and Talk of the Devils contributor, Matt Gillia. How are you doing, Matt? I'm well, thanks. Uh, Long time no talk. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, well, we kept you away for long enough. (laughs) Bring you back into the fold. Um, how's coronavirus? That was a big C word down under. It's uh, look, the numbers aren't that bad from a on a global level, but uh, uh, our government's taken a very hard line approach to keeping it under control. So we're we're on a pretty firm lockdown here in Melbourne, which is uh, starting to get a bit annoying. But um, we've recently had newborn twins, so they keep me very busy at home, thankfully. Yeah, well, I will hopefully they'll keep quiet. The duration of this show because <laughs> we don't want them to start on a bad note. Um, yeah, um, it's funny because over here in Europe we're looking at New Zealand. Well, we were looking at New Zealand and saying, "Oh my God, they've got their act together." Um, it doesn't seem to be that way anymore at the moment. I think they had the spiking cases, but you know, as long as you're keeping safe, that's the main thing. Um, right, let's talk about football then. Uh, what can we say about um, the last week at United? Copenhagen and Sevilla and two pretty similar performances in the end pretty flat with flurries of excitement always gave the idea of being in some control but you know in one game we saw that appearances can be deceptive Um, United won through against Copenhagen after extra time um, but were defeated against Sevilla after taking an early lead Um, we were awarded a penalty the 22nd of the season um, in the first few minutes, converted emphatically by Bruno Fernandes. We had a grumble with the equaliser, which originated from a throw-in um, that we should have had. But these things happen. I think that one's a bit um, clutching at straws with that one. Um, but the defending at the far post is something that teams are often catching us out on at the minute. Um, it seemed that way for both of Sevilla's goals, although as usual... United give you plenty of um, people to blame, especially for the second goal. United's main grumbles, I think, were the second penalty that they should have got. Um, VAR really should be cutting this fear out of referees toward 10 penalties if they have to in a game, um, but um, they didn't. Um, the referee just decided he's not going to do that one with the second one. And then the best that he really got for United was a flurry of chances they missed early in the second half, which really made you think, well, made me think that for all his progress this year, Anthony Martial perhaps still lacks that real killer instinct. Now, Paul, overall, you know, we can't complain with the result. We were good in spurts, but with some real problems. And the match seemed to be a neat summary of our season, really, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, they were. I mean, to be honest, when they were, when you say good, especially the start of that second half, it was excellent. Mm. It was like watching United of old, to be honest. And it just needed one to go in, and I think it would have carried on from there. And it it does show about, you know, they are lacking that that clinical fish, um, finisher sometimes. But just to kind of skirt around a little bit what you said when you talk about United defensively. You have to you have to mention his name. You have to talk about Lindelof, mm. about his positional sense. I will. Um, you talk about the second. You look at the first goal. You wonder what Brandon Williams was doing. He he did. He, he had his um 
he was facing a goal rather than having his back to goal to see to leave himself in a position to to get to the far post where Suso was. The ball coming in should never have been allowed to happen because um, um, Wan-Bissaka got caught out. He, he, did, he thought he'd done his first job okay and didn't do the second job because his man ran off of him to receive the ball to cross it. And going back to that second goal, Lindelof, positional sense was poor. But I just wonder, as much as you can talk about his positional sense, was Wampaseka screaming at him that there was a man on his shoulder, over his shoulder? If Wampaseka is screaming at him and Lindelof doesn't listen, then more for Lindelof. But Wampaseka should have been screaming at him, there's a man over his shoulder. And then, as he's screaming, he should have been going towards that man. I always believe in that old saying is that when I've done a job, when you do a job as a defender, you, you don't do your job, you do a man and a half. Yeah. And I, he wasn't doing that so... I don't know if he's screaming and everyone's raging at Lindelof and yes you will do but he was in between two he was in between two people there wasn't anyone the other side of um Wampasaka but if they were that I'll be honest they would have been on the corner flag because there, there it was there was it was couldn't see him they wasn't in shot as far as I was concerned so was Wampasaka communicating or was he just standing there saying well that's not my man well, let me ask you this, Paul. Obviously, you've played a right back. You know that position very well, and we've been very complimentary of Aaron Wambasaka for me, probably, apart from Bruno, our, our player of the season. There was a lot of talk about tiredness. But that second goal, <laughs> does tiredness really come into it where you're allowing one player, one player in their box, well, one severe player's in the box, and he scores the winner? You've got... <clears throat> Maguire at the near post, alright, fair enough, the ball flashes past him. Lindelof decides to not deal with it. Wambasaka, yes, he watches it happening, and yes, he should, you know, at the very least, he's got to be shouting that there's a man there. But what's the bigger crime? I mean, the fact is, like I said in the intro, Paul, it's like there's so much crime to go around, so much blame to share, because you can blame both of them, really, can't you? And Lindelof turning around and arguing, I mean, take some responsibility, man, you know. He's done this in, I mean, we've seen him being caught on the wrong side for two high-profile goals, I think it's Southampton and Chelsea, he was on yeah. the wrong side. And and this time, not on the wrong side, he's on the right side, and he just doesn't have the responsibility to deal with it. No, I mean, it, it, it was poor on his part. It has happened quite a few times and we can talk about United as a unit going forward. Again, you have to look at them defensively. Um, you can look at so many areas where they've got problems and I don't think Ollie's really sure about what he's going to do at left back. I personally don't think he's sure. Brandon Williams still needs a bit of time, even though the lad done very, very well. Talk about maybe the first goal. You can look at Wan-Bissaka, who you can look at fatigue and from where he's come from, how long he's played as a fullback in the top division, he's still maybe lacking that little bit of positional sense as a fullback. Good on one on ones, but positional sense is the high level you play, positional sense becomes more and more important. It isn't about how many tackles you win. When you know, it's about are you stopping balls going, you know, f- through the lines that you're protecting? Are you forcing the ball wide? Are you stopping people running behind you? And they're the bits that make good defenders, not about how many tackles they'll win, to be perfectly honest. So if United are going to go to that next level of being regular in the Champions League, if he's going to go on and become an international, because that's for me when 
I suddenly found where well, I found the difference between club football and international football was I wasn't making anywhere near the amount of tackles I used to because people weren't dribbling as much, people were cleverer and if you did try and make a tackle you had to be 100% sure because they were throwing themselves all over the place and trying to get you booked. Yeah. So you couldn't do that. So there was a lot of players who have got a lot to learn at the next level and I think we're seeing with quite a, a poor Sevilla team. If this Sevilla team win this Europa League, this will be one of the poorest Sevilla teams ever to win it, by the way. Yeah. They're not as good as the previous side. So United have still got a way to go. Oli... I think as he's as he kind of kind of went along those lines and which he said, which is a hundred percent, United now there was tired legs out there, as you said. I've, I hate saying that, you know what you know yes. I do Wayne about this. But I could see that after they had that burst, those early bursts, it never went for them. And when they conceded that goal, players lost their energy. Their mental energy went because they couldn't see a way they was gonna get back in because of what happened at the start of that first half, second half, sorry. Yeah. So I think Oli, he needs to go out and add to what he's got. But when he goes out, as I said last week, and when he brings players in, they have to be players that he brings in that actually, if they get in the first team, they're good enough to stay in there, not stopgap players. He has to go and buy, he has to get quality players. If it means to go out and get two instead of getting four also rounds who, who can do a job for a short while, then it's not worth doing. But we see already there's a decent 11 or 12 or 13 between Fred and Matic because I thought Fred done well energy wide Fred done well good decision to play Fred but once you go beyond that mid, who else can come into that midfield and hold down a place no one defensively everyone's stuck on what they're going to do defensively in that middle bit I still think Maguire still questions to be answered full back areas one of them needs more experience. The other one is, both of them do, but one of Randall Williams maybe needs that little bit more time. Luke Shaw, not sure. Up front, the three up front, still lacking. As much as you look at them when it's great, they've still not got no consistency between the three of them. They're in flashes. So he needs, I still believe, he needs a centre forward. Please, people, stop saying Sancho, Sancho. They're getting involved in the hype. There's a lot of money to come back and have egg thrown in your face. Yeah, um, we'll get on to that a little bit later on. Matt, um, defenders, they're going to get it in the neck. We've already done that. You do want to see a little bit more from that attack line, though, don't you? Again, it seemed like Fernandez had the responsibility to do everything and you could see the sort of... We saw the flashes. I mean, Martial looked very good in, in some flashes, but then when he gets in front of the goalkeeper, for me, I don't have a problem if the goalkeeper's making exceptional saves... I thought the goalkeeper played well, but I don't think they were exceptional saves. No, it wasn't like the um, Copenhagen game with the quality of saves that keeper was making. I think their goalkeeper had a had a good game. Um, the desperation of the severe defenders, you know, when we were sort of scrambling in the box was impressive. But no doubting that, you know, at least two of those chances, Martial should really be putting away. Even Greenwood right at the start of the second second half. Um, you know, I felt like he probably could have put, put that chance away as well. So, um, yeah, obviously lots of questions will be asked of the defence, and, and rightly so, because, um, you know, I, th- I think they've been a, a thorn in the side for for the majority of the season, uh, especially in the, in the big games, but definitely on this occasion. Um, you know, the, the, the forwards' failure to, 
to find the back of the net from from some very good chances um, was, was disappointing. But I guess on the flip side, you know, for years we've been watching these sort of games where um, where you know we we bow out in in um, in these sort of in these sort of matches and we don't create anything, which which is probably I don't know what's more frustrating: having the chances and not taking them, or not creating anything for ninety minutes, or only creating one or two you know half decent chances. So. Um, I'd, I'd much rather be in the position where we're at least creating some good chances, but uh, yeah, it does it does make it a bit harder to take when when you don't uh, get the rewards that that you you probably deserve. Yeah, you're so right with that, and as well, I mean, the um, the way that we've moved forward, like you said, in against Sevilla two years ago, we weren't even creating chances with Jose Mourinho. I'm not saying that as a defence for what we've seen, but like Paul was saying earlier about Brandon Williams' positioning, I think people forget that. The journey that young players have to go on. I'm not saying no, oh, yeah, everything. The, these mistakes are necessary, but we saw it with the class of '92. They made mistakes in Europe. We saw it even with the Ronaldo and Rooney side. They made mistakes in Europe before they became good. You kind of have. I'm not saying it, it makes the defeat any easier to take, Matt, but it, you do kind of have to take these bumps, don't you, for for those players to develop. Yeah, I mean, for guys like Brandon Williams, Wembasaka, obviously a bit younger. Um, you know, you can sort of accept that there's going to be mistakes along the way. Greenwood, you know, in that same bracket. Mm. I mean, Rashford feels like he's been, you know, at the club forever. But you got to remember, he's still pretty young in, you know, in in um, in global terms. So you know, you, you accept that he's still going to have these up and down dips of form. Um, but, you know, guys like Lindelof, maybe not so much. You know, I'd be expecting a lot more from a player like him. Um, you know, and, and it's sort of been so routine with, with, with him that, it, you know, it's obviously a problem. Uh, and, and you've got to start asking, if, you know, where, where's the long-term, I guess, partner for Maguire, if, if Maguire is indeed, you know, to be, I guess, the, the core of the United defence. But with the younger guys, sure, um, you accept that there's going to be mistakes and, and that's, you know, part of the... The um, the risk when you when you trust you know young young players to take up key roles in the side and and uh, you know Williams is in a position where he's you know he's probably second choice to a guy in Luke Shaw who's injured so often that Williams is getting a lot of good experience so hopefully this this holds him in good stead for the the rest of his career. Yeah, um, let's talk about Ollie himself then. Um, throughout the season. I think he's shown some fine tactical flexibility, um, some different shapes, different selections. The tactics have worked wonders in a few games as well, certainly for some big results and performances. Um, since the restart, he's settled on an 11, really, which has had pluses and negatives. Um, on the plus side, we had a cohesion, um, some defensive settlement. We played some of the best football that we've seen for in the last seven years, for sure. Scored some great goals as well. Ultimately, though, with the fact that the team, that eleven, still has weaknesses within it, perhaps it was a negative that some of those players who could be considered on the edge weren't rotated more often. For example, Lindelof always being in, Shaw always being in until he got injured, Matic always in. I, I still think that probably out of those options, Matic is, is the best. But as you saw with Fred, like Paul said earlier, um, it's not always bad to change it around Fred's dynamism. I mean, even... And probably McTominay is the least in the pecking order, but if he did have an, add a little bit more experience, because that's the only way that he's going to learn the kind of things that Matic has that he doesn't have. Um, and then you have obviously Greenwood as well, who um, it's been a bit of a difficult call between saying this lad 
can't be held back and then putting the burden on him to do well. Um, Matt, you summed up the um, the season up with um, an article for the website. You graded Ollie's first full season as an A minus. I want to talk me through why why that was so high. What your expectations were at the start of the season, how he met them, and what he didn't do so well in. Well, I think the rating reflects. Um how little I sort of expected from the season, to be honest. Mm. And and maybe I'm, I mark him higher because of the recovery um, after, you know, I guess we got to December and January. And I keep thinking back to that, um, the, the game against Sheffield United, you know, I think it was either late December or early January. And I thought, geez, this might be, you know, the beginning of the end for for our Solskjaer. But the recovery for me was... was quite remarkable the turnaround in form um, I think the overall level of performances um, even though we haven't always got the results I've, I've enjoyed watching United more under Solskjaer than I've enjoyed watching them under um, certainly Moyers, Van Gaal, Mourinho so mm. he, he, he gets a massive tick for I guess the aesthetically pleasing you know football that United have played at times this season um, there seems to be something of a strategy in the transfer market now. Um, it's not just gunning for a player because City wants him or gunning for a player because you know, he's a big name and he might sell a few shirts. You know, There seems to be um, a bit more strategy around the, the players that we're, we're going after, um, a, good, a good sort of spread of youth and experience. And, and, and realistically, I think he really did get the best he he could have out of this side. And I know it's it's hard when you make three semi-finals and and you don't make it to one final. But I mm. think that that probably is a fair reflection of this United squad. Um, Solskjaer has got them to a point where you feel like they might be ready to get into the conversation, but they're still not quite there yet. So um, you know it's a very short off season this time around, and times of the essence for um, for Solskjaer and and the board really has to back him in. Um, It'd be interesting to see who we target, as, as Paul's alluded to. You know, um, obviously Sancho's the is is the headline, and and everyone's talking about you know us signing him, and and I think you know he he would have something to offer the squad, but not. I'm still not convinced it's necessarily the the most um, pressing need that that we have. Mm. Um, you know, I think the defence, particularly central defence, is is probably the the most important. Um, the most important position again this summer. Uh, again, the the fullback positions. I think Brandon Williams needs a bit more help if Luke Shaw's not going to be fit enough to to play the majority of the season. Uh, and, and you know, and even in the midfield, uh, you know, you, you could definitely see room for improvement there. So, still a way to go. And and because of that, I think the fact that we finished third and we've made three semi-finals, um, I think Ole deserves quite a lot of lot of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, um, Matt gives him an A minus. Looking at the start, that gives Ollie an A minus for for this season. If you look at the start of this season, the squad overhaul. So we lost Valencia, Herrera, Lukaku, Sanchez, Chris Smalling went out on loan. Alone, Ashley Young went out permanently, and not to mention the turnover of young players that we thought might be good enough um, and sadly weren't. To lose as many senior players as we did from a squad that really, <laughs> at the time, I think we all said they couldn't afford to lose that many senior players, even though they weren't good enough. Um, 
well, I think we can all agree that the the time had gone uh, come for those players to move on. It was a massive achievement, wasn't it, to to come in third place? Yes, you could argue where they could between they could be between third and sixth, but to finish in third to get to those semi finals. He's got to have exceeded our expectations at the start of the season and to play the good football as well. Yeah, but just going back to what he just said there to Matt, instead of asking what you asked him, why didn't you ask him why didn't he give Ollie an A plus? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a that was a question. That could have been a question. <laughs> it could have been, but you know, I think if we if we're serious about United, I think you have to win some sort of silverware to get it into an A plus. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I, that's probably why. But, um, but that's a great answer, by the way. I was playing devil's advocate yeah. there. I just want to throw that one at you, to be honest. But just go back to what you just said to me, Wayne. Is that you? You are right. What the players he lost, to senior players he lost. Yes, to actually. To go on after that when everyone was questioning. The only out of all those players, two of them out of those players, which I would turn around and say who could have made a difference, one of them can still make a difference. The other one has made a difference where he is now. And that one that's made a difference where he is now is Lukaku. Mm. If he had if he had a better attitude, he could have been a difference. He could have been a difference of United being in the final yesterday if he had been there. But you needed a player who actually wanted to be there and a player who respected his teammates because he let his teammates down while he was at that football club. He'd mm. become about himself rather than being part of that. And football is still a sport that is played with other individuals and you collectively, collectively then you become a team. Lukaku forgot that little bit while he was at United and that's one of the reasons why Oli had to move him on. Not because he really didn't, didn't fancy him or anything like that. It was about what he was around that dressing room. So he went with an individual rather than having to get every, get people, a load of people out to suit what maybe what he wanted. So that's the reason why he's not a United. Chris Smalling was the other one who can, who's got an opportunity to make a difference for Manchester United and somewhere where they're quite weak at this moment in time or vulnerable or lack consistency in that middle, middle portion of the defence. But... He's, at, he's made a big, big difference in what he's done and he deserves a lot of plaudits. He won't get it because there's too many haters out there for him who want to see him fail and the, the, the really nitpicky ones will come out. He's failed in three semi-finals. It ain't right. It's all about him. And at the end of the day, he's achieved three semi-finals. No one would have believed he would have done that at the start of the season. Easy thing to say, but I think it's a fact for him to reach three semi-finals and look at the teams that he come up against you know he got to a semi-final and nearly got over the line against Manchester City in one of them mm. as well he lost a semi-final where in theory I don't know what happened that day at Wembley I don't know what happened that day to Manchester United not to win that semi-final against Chelsea and then you look last night and there was every opportunity to go and win that but they just couldn't get the ball over the line for that second one but then you look at the you look at that they get themselves one nil up, and yet they they kept the game wide open. Where was you? You was looking for your personalities. You was looking for your big players within that club, within that team, to come out and take the sting out of that game. But it allowed that first half to become like a boxing fight. It was like a, it was like um, what's his name? Sylvester Stallone v Club Alang. <laughs> in the end that's what it was like you hit me I hit you and let me see if I can stand up yes I can go and have it back 
and that's and that's what it was like that first half when United, if they'd had more if they'd had more experienced players and if they'd had an actual leader in that team, they would have taken the sting out of the game. You know, I didn't see Harry Maguire during that time when they went one nil up, going back and getting the ball in his six yard box as he keeps doing. He didn't go and do that. I didn't see the fullbacks going wide. I didn't see either of the centre halves. I did. I didn't see it. If Matic had been there, Matic would have gone into that back line or dropped deep and he would have pushed Harry Maguire back further and said, go and get the ball, offer the goalkeeper, knock it into me and take the sting out of the game. But he didn't do it, Harry Maguire, because he was in a position where he's never been in his life before. He was in a European semi-final and it threatened him. He wasn't in control of the way he, his feelings. He, he totally was out of his comfort zone. So they let that game just become, a, you know, your turn, my turn kind of game. And if he could have got hold of that, they mostly could have gone in at half-time, 1-0 up, and what a great position that would have been in, up against a, a very poor, severe team. A team that have had a very, very good season in their domestic league, by the way, because they're in the Champions League next season. So it tells you something... As much as we talk about our league and we're looking at all of our top size, the Spanish league have the same problems as what we have with our domestic league. It's not very strong. It's quite poor at this moment in time. Yeah, they're, they're in the Champions League, but I'll put a tenner on them winning the Europa League next season as well. <laughs> and that, um, one criticism of Oli is the um, tactical inflexibility and people were saying, oh, he didn't, you know, he waited too long to make his changes. And, and like I was saying a little bit earlier, perhaps there's a lot of truth to that. Perhaps since the restart, he hasn't rotated as heavily. You know, we've seen Igalo be very uh, much a fringe player. Um, James has obviously struggled quite a lot. So there's there's a double-edged sword with the argument, isn't there? Obviously, some of the players aren't quite good enough to make that impression. But the other side of it is that they haven't really been given the chance to as well and confidence plays a, a large part particularly in those two players that I mentioned as well so in terms of Oli's um, effectively what I'm asking is where do you think Oli himself needs to improve uh, for next season what what can he do that um, helps the team progress rather than just saying you know we're going to sign XX and X player yeah um Good question. I, I, with, with the tactical inflexibility angle, I guess he's over. If you if you look at the season overall, he's definitely shown you know an ability to change up his tactics, you know, for particular games and, and play a certain style to achieve a result. You know, if you only have to look at the the win over City, where you know he he's really set up really well in those sort of games um, in the league. So I, I think he's demonstrated over the course of the season and ability to to um, pick and choose his teams for particular games. But I think uh, even his biggest supporters, who, you know, at this point I'd probably say I'm one of them, would have to say that he maybe could have managed the game um, against Sevilla a little bit better. But then you say that and you look at what was on the bench and the way the game was playing out and you think, well... Mm. Obviously, like the changes you would be making would be purely because players were looking a bit, you know, tired or you know, out on their feet in some instances. Um, not necessarily because the guys that would replace them would give United a better chance, other than having a bit more energy. Um, maybe, you know, maybe if I think back to that 
early part of the second half we, we had a lot of possession in and around the box and maybe we were lacking a bit of that that killer pass at times maybe Mata would have made a difference at that point in the game but once that game once that part of the game passed and it became a lot more open and stretched I'm, I'm not sure he would have had the desired mm. effect yeah. um, by that point so yeah look tough one I I think really the changes he could have made would have been just simply to get some fresh legs on the field. Maybe Igala would have given us something a bit, um, a bit of a better target man through the middle, someone that the likes of Martial and Greenwood or Rashford, whoever stays on, um, could have run off. Because um, I think Martial was struggling a little bit in that role and uh, might have might have suited him a bit better to take uh, to go out on the left where Rashford was struggling, uh, to be honest, and and have. You know, a bit more of a focal point in Igalo up front, um, but yeah, I mean, they're they're the only real changes. I don't think any of those changes fix the defensive issues that that happened through the game and, and cost us the goals. So, I don't think he could have done much about that. Um, you know, I, I think I think he picked a, a good team. I thought, you know, I'm not Fred's biggest fan, but I think his performance showed he was the right choice for that yeah. occasion. Yeah. Um, you know, he was he, he was really good at helping us maintain possession and, and winning it back in some good areas. Um, he was really busy, so so that was good to see. But, yeah, I, I think really he could have just maybe been a bit more proactive um, and, and getting some of the tired legs off. And, and maybe that Igalo up front um, through the middle is probably the major change that he could have made. But, you know, he, he's still he, this is still a new experience for him as well, so he, he'll learn from it. He'll probably look at the Sevilla coach and see, you know, I think three of his subs combined for the winning goal so you know it does it does say something about being able to to manage your match um and, and your subs uh well and the difference it can make in in a given game so um as a super sub himself uh maybe maybe that's that's an area he can improve on next season yeah but it's an interesting one isn't it Paul? because i mean we i think like matt speaking positively of ollie we've certainly done that and we're um very much supportive of him and every time he's done well We've given him um, as much praise as we can. The tactical sort of master, let's call them masterclasses, certainly against City, but um, in many big games, he's, you know, against Chelsea as well in games, he's, he's done so well to sort of set up the team and he's obviously looked at the formation and changed it around. Since the restart, he's seen the value of keeping an 11. And sort of saying this is a team that you've got to break into. Your performance level's got to be good to break into it. There are obviously pluses to both ways of looking at that, you know, changing it up. Is there even an argument then, because he changed his sort of approach with that poll, that he, he, he trusted in the players more than he trusted in himself to sort of say, all right, you guys go and win me the game. When if he'd have stayed true to what he was doing earlier in the season, perhaps... Um, perhaps yesterday's a different... You know, if he'd played, let's say, a three-man defence, you know, like he has done. I'm not saying that a three-man defence would have made a difference. I'm just saying if he'd had done a, a different tactical approach, if he'd had looked at it and thought, no, I'm going to trust what I was doing earlier in the season. I'm not saying there's anything to say that he did, didn't do that, by the way. But perhaps if he's a little bit more bold going next season... In, I know it's a complex sort of scenario to look at and we've finished third in the league so you've got to say well the objective has been met and alright so losing three semi-finals hurts but it's not um, the be all and end all you know we, it's a you know of all problems to have it's 
it's a decent problem to have. So these sort of learning curves, something that Ollie's going to um, take on himself. Um, let me sum up that ramble in a nutshell for you, Paul. Um, where do you think his, his plus is? Is it sticking with an 11 or being tactically flexible? I think we have to say he has been quite flexible with the big games when he's gone to he's gone with a three and he's realised that was going to be his strength and nine times out of ten that come off for him this season. The only time it didn't really come off for him was at the Emirates mm. where they were very poor, which I was surprised to how poor they were that evening. Um, so that, that's that's he has definitely been that way, but I still think he's been quite loyal to a lot of players as well, and those players. Have, have done their job well for him, to be honest. The only, and the only way some of them have let him down is the, the fact of fatigue in the end, as we saw yesterday. We've seen, we've seen it Fernandes. Fernandes has been incredible, but when he's, you see him when he's been tired, you actually can see it from him because he loses that little bit of zip. He, you can see his passing goes, everything goes, which, which does happen when you do get tired. Mentally, that's where you look for that bit of strength to, to keep your composure, to do things correctly. And I think he was he was pushed himself that hard. He struggled, so he definitely got it right. I think in a certain way, I think he could have been maybe a little bit bolder with Rashford because Rashford hasn't done it since after lockdown. hasn't hasn't done it at all, and he could have maybe have put him on the side and maybe looked at doing something different. Even maybe give you know. Looked at maybe Engalo, put him in, put him in the middle, and saying to Martial to go and take that role and tried that, but he's stuck with Rashford. I don't know why he's gone and done that because he hasn't sh- shown anything at all to suggest that he should have been starting, you know, every game, you know, after lockdown. Really, he just he hasn't been there. So that's that's the one I look at, and I think a lot of United fans have questioned Rashford, and I think everyone now is a little bit. You can see a few little people sniping at him and getting a little bit concerned because all of a sudden people are patting him more on the back about what he's done for kids getting meals than him being a footballer. My idea of it and me being selfish as I am, that he should he should be his priority should be to be as good a footballer for himself and Manchester United now and become something more like he's doing with the school meals for kids. Do that when he finishes. That's great when he finishes at the moment. Be a good footballer for your club. Be a good footballer because of your for your teammates to help your team out. But more importantly, for yourself, be what you've always wanted to be and what you said you wanted to be, a top footballer for Manchester United. Yeah. Matt, just to close off on the sort of severe thing, and it's a, a sort of point you kind of made in the article that you wrote for the website, but it's, it's still a good uh, talking point. Is it fair to say, I know people are disappointed, but finishing third in the Premier League and losing to Sevilla as we did with that squad and with that first team, people might not want to hear this, but that is probably United's level at the moment, isn't it? We've not, I think, what we've done, yes, it's an A minus because Oli had to take us to, to get to this position, but that's par. For what to expect for United? Um, I almost think it's it's above par in a lot of ways. When you like, you know, as we sort of already touched on, the senior players we lost, uh, the the general. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm not talking about the journey. I'm talking about these players and that squad 
yesterday. Yeah. The way that we look at it, everything set up now, third in the league and losing to Sevilla in the semi-final of the Europa League, that's kind of what to expect from what we've got. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I think um, the the players are sort of... I think I think Ole's got the, the best that he, he could have out of that squad, and that was probably the natural end in a lot of ways to to the season. But you say that knowing that had we been a bit more clinical, it could have been very different as well. So yeah, yeah. it speaks for, I think, the opportunity that there is next season if we get it right in this off-season. Um, uh, but I do think it's a, it's a pretty big balancing act that Solskjaer is going to have to pull off between um, identifying the right players to bring in, being able to access the funds to be able to get those players in. You know, do we have to sell players to, to make room for those players? Um, so I think I think we can look at that game and say, yep, that's probably the right level. But on another day, we could still have gone one better. Um, and for me, that says a lot about the opportunity that's ahead for Oli. And, and it really says to me why, of all the managers we've had since Sir Alex, if there was a manager for the board to back and back him well, um, it's Oli now because he's proven where other managers haven't that he will get the absolute best out of whatever he's got. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, as we feel like we've been saying it for three years, but this is the most critical season since uh, summer, since um, time began. Um, realistic ambitions then for next season, Matt. Um, consolidating a spot as that third best team in the league, because like I was saying earlier, we, you, yes, if we'd have finished sixth, you might not have been arguing because of you would have looked at that and said, oh yeah, well maybe that's probably what we deserve. But now we finish third, we need to be consolidating that spot, hoping that we can bridge a gap to the top two. It does seem as if there's a message getting on to the players that every game's a must-win game and that there's some responsibility there on the pitch. Um, you don't like to see goals conceded, but it's reassuring to see players shouting at each other. Um, so, as, yeah, Matt, sorry, realistic ambitions for next season. Yeah, I think um, making sure we consolidate with a, another Champions League finish, but with the caveat that the gap between um, United and the top of the league has to be much, much smaller. Um, even if even if the position at the end of the day is the same, you know, we want to see more than 70 points, hopefully, um, and certainly not the gap. Um, I, I know that the gap is sort of, it's out of our control in, in that, you know, we can't stop the likes of Liverpool and City from winning every week um, if they're that good but um, I definitely I think the controllables for us are that we can definitely um, we have a have a good campaign that, that, that results in more than 66 points or whatever it is that we finished on um, I definitely want to be seeing us um, finish um, with a, in the top four um, whether that's third or fourth but with a much, much um, smaller gap between us and the, the top the top two. Yeah, I, um, I'm, sort of, uh, I'm on that point of saying, well, fourth would be a, a big regression. I'm not, but even then, is it a big regression from where we are at the moment? No, it isn't. Like I said, I, I look at that team and think, well, we could have finished anywhere in the top six. So mm. it's sort of like, yeah, we're in third, so consolidate that position and try and... You know, like you were saying earlier, the things that are in our control are the 34 games that we play that aren't Liverpool and City. So, you know, 
the points are there to win the league <laughs> from those from those games, but that's a simplistic way of looking at it. Um, let's talk about we we you mentioned players coming in, but one thing that came up overnight with people started talking about this a lot because he played poorly in the game again, and there's all the talk this summer about maybe giving him a new contract. Paul, I'll come to you first. Paul Pogba. This is going to be another, not really, I guess maybe not so much a saga because United are in a position, of, a relative position of strength with this. You're going to have a couple of teams like Real and Barcelona, maybe even Juventus, thinking, oh, you know, we, he's kind of like a marquee player who might be available. If that happens, if there's interest in him, is he worth more as an asset to cash in on at this point? If he's, if you're going to get something decent, I don't know how do you evaluate decent in this moment in time with what's gone on, because mm-hmm. um, everyone would look at anything. I mean, we talk about Sancho 108, you know. So I don't know what what you're talking about now for him. But if it was the money was going to be used for Ollie to go out and spend on the team, then maybe if the money's right, where you can get from that, it might be worth taking. Um, but it all depends if you. But you're going to have to go out and get yourself definitely another top midfield player. That's the thing about it. You can't just go out and get someone potential. You need something guaranteed in there, without a doubt. I'm sure if it was available, people would talk about. Oh, we can go and get Jack Grealish now. But Jack Grealish is still potential, in my opinion, to go into that role because he doesn't play that role for um, Aston Villa. He stays on the left wing only gets in the game when he's on the ball, doesn't affect the game without a ball. Fernandes affects the game without the ball, as, as he does even more so when he's got the ball. Grealish can't go and do that job in there. He hasn't got the energy, the same legs as the way Pogba expresses himself with, when, he, you know, when he runs with the ball and without the ball. So I really don't... I'm, I'm, I'm stuck now. I'm kind of thinking those two together can get better. And what they do is... They make teams think about what they're going to do next in their midfield, where prior to Fernandes coming, Manchester United was just, I'll well, go up against United, you know they're not going to create. And it was an easy team to play against week in, week out. The biggest problem is the inconsistency of Paul Pogba. Mm. That's the big problem. As, as we saw yesterday, when you needed him, then he was a letdown. If that was Sir Alex Ferguson in charge, Sir Alex Ferguson would virtually, no uncertain terms, let him know that there's no point in him being United if he's not going to go and play in games like that because when you play for Manchester United, you want to play in big games. So when the big games come around and you're deemed a big player because you know you get you get your emoji going around the football grounds and, and things like that and you spent, you spent a lot of money getting someone and you spent a lot of money on wages, you're a big player. So when that game comes around, you have to deliver. So... Straight away, that's, that, 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 was, that was a mark against him, that performance yesterday when you needed him. I don't know if anyone's going to come in for him. Everyone keeps talking about Juve, about bringing him back to San Piero, wants to bring him back. I don't know whether that's been thrown into his face or not because those two did play very well together, didn't they? Mm. There was a lot of... Res- you could see the way they played and he mostly know how to get the, get the best out of him. So that might be a match made in heaven. But at this moment in time, does it suit Manchester United and Oli? Because he's got to be wondering if extra money comes in, if he's actually going to be able to get anywhere to touch it. And then is he going to be able to go and find someone who can give him and you know give him more in that midfield? Because definitely 
to let him go and not replace Paul Pogba, that'll put United a step backwards to where they are now, which would be a big, big concern. I'm sure even Fernandes, for that to happen, and I still believe that somewhere along the line, he's signed for Manchester United, but I'm sure they have to fulfil obligations to make sure that he's happy and what they bring in. Yeah, Mark, it's a, it is a tricky one, but I do feel like we've been here before um, and people have questioned the wisdom that Wayne Rooney, David De Gea, you know, giving a player a, a, the um, supposed peak of his career, this bumper deal to sort of close out his career at United. It's a very difficult situation. Um, the way that I've always looked at it is... The investment that we've seen on Paul Pogba, so we spent about £80, £90 million pound on him. I don't think that we've seen an £80, £90 million pound player so far. So would you invest in Paul Pogba in the future if what you're going to get is pretty much a mix of what we've seen for the last four years? Uh, no. I think the problem is, like Paul said, how much, uh, how much would we get for him? And then knowing that, Whatever we get for him, every club that we go to for a player is going to know what we got for Paul Pogba, and they're going to add, a, as they always do, they'll add, you know, another premium on top of whatever they want for, you know, the players that we want from them. So, it's it's such a tricky situation because I don't think we can afford to lose Pogba. Um, I I think, you know, even even his average is still better than what the the players beneath him, other than maybe Fernandez, um, can provide. Uh, his his worst performances are just you know diabolical, and, and uh, probably uh, the severe game was an example of of a performance that was on the on the lower scale of um, what he can do. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really tough one because you sort of. I'm sort of at this point now where I've got Pogba fatigue and I'm like, I'm just sick of... Even though I know that when we sell him, wherever he goes, he'll be an absolute jet and he'll, you know, he'll start scoring worldies again like he did at Juve before he came back to United and, you know, he'll, he'll probably end up in another Champions League final or something like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it's almost at a point now where United has to cut their losses. But the club is in such a weird position where we can't just go out and compete with... Some of the, well, we can maybe go out and compete for one player a window, but we can't go and get the three or four players that we actually need. So it's this constant, you know, um, we get one player and then we'll try and get it right. You know, get the the next piece of the the, the jigsaw in the next transfer window. Um, and I, I think if if we if we get rid of Pogba, it might be one of those situations where you, you cut your nose off to spite your face. So. Um, at this point, I, I don't know, if you ask me tomorrow, I'd probably say just get rid of him. But I think we need to keep him simply because um, I don't know if we'd be able to replace him with the money that we do get for him. Um, but then the question is, well, can the money then be spent to bring in a Sancho or a centre-forward and, and a central defender? And does that leave us in a better position overall as a team? You know, can, we, can we bridge that gap in midfield now that we've got... Fernandez, um, do we just look for a different look to our, a composition to our midfield overall? So, um, I think I think the easy answer right now is just to keep Pogba and and maybe I guess if we keep him, we do have to give him that big deal because his contract's up after at the end of next season, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, you know, if we don't want to lose him for free next season, then I guess we do have to make that investment. It's a really tough one, to be honest. I, 
I've just rambled for three minutes and not come to a, a solid conclusion. So <laughs> I guess I guess that tells you where my head's at with the the Pogba situation. I don't know if uh, Paul has a. I mean, Paul, you you, you don't think we we should or, or we should sell him? I think if you, you've asked me that question, I think I could ramble longer than you about that one. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a lot of me that wants that says I, I want him to I want him to do well. He got me to a point, you know, before where. I virtually just said get rid what goes with it everything was bringing the wrong attention to the football club but I've seen that a little bit more now and I know that he's going to have to try and impress now if he still wants that move he has to impress other people to go and spend a small fortune now to bring him across and everything that goes with it but I don't know if he's gone and done that but I'm looking at United now and say i.e. someone comes in and he's happy to say to pay 80 million for him how much of that 80 million is Oli going to get? And if he doesn't sell him, how much money is there available for Oli to spend at this moment in time? So say Oli's got 80 million to spend. They're saying you can have 80 million to spend, Oli. Just say that. Or saying that you can have what? If you buy Sancho, that's your lot. You can't buy anymore. So I say to Alter and I say, if you let him, if you let him go, if you get rid of him, say for 80 million, Pogba straight away fits so, off. Well, that's. 100 and 188 million to spend you can go out and spend 40 odd million on the center half at leipzig because that's his buy that's his buyout clause 40 odd million as is his buyout clause they're saying mm. so you look at him he's he's allegedly 21 years of age but upper menko you mean yeah, yeah i'm yeah. glad you said that because i didn't want to try and say it <laughs> but i look at him and that's what that's what they say he's 21 a bit dubious about that one, but still, you can't you can't beat a, a you can't beat a dodgy passport unless you work for the passport office. So they're saying he's 21. That's better than going to spend God knows how many million on Kudabai, who's 29 years of age. It's ridiculous. So you can go and get him at 40 million. Then you can maybe go out and given everything, there must be a good good player. You think about it in that German league, so many good young players in that German league, it's incredible from all over the world to go out and spend 30, 40 million on a good young player in that German, to come and play for Manchester United and then to nurture him through that to play in the Premier League. And you think to yourself, I mean, you could go out and spend that kind of money and bring in three or four players rather than going out and just spending 108 million on one player who's still potential. Mm. Sancho is still potential. And much everyone, I think I said this, I don't know if I said it last week, Wayne, is that there's too many players on TV now, pundits, and these players, and some of them ex United players, have put all their house on everything about Sancho. Even um, Paul Scholes said it last night if Sancho had played, he would have scored those goals. Why would he? Yeah. Why would he? Hindsight. I love hindsight because, really, in theory, I should have been playing for Real Madrid when I was 17. Yeah. You know, that's what hindsight's all about. <laughs> so we don't know, but that's still potentially because he's still not proven in the Premier League. He left Man City to go and play, and he's done well in Germany, but we can't guarantee that because he's done well for Dortmund that he's going to do for Manchester United and as well. How many people have watched him? I don't know if you have, Matt. How many, how many 90 minutes have you watched Sancho play for Dortmund? Uh, probably three. Yeah, there you are. But yeah, I'm seeing an ex-United player on TV and he's, he's mostly, the way he's talking, he's mostly watched Sancho play football more times than he's actually 
watched his wife get into bed. <laughs> it's just incredible. And I'm there going, blooming hell, you've got to get a life if that's all you've done is watch Dortmund play. The way he's taught, he's put all his eggs into this one player. And it's a great thing to say, because if it works out, you go, I told you first. Fantastic. But all you want is just a little opinion, but you still, you still have to have that doubt. Always that doubt when you spend that kind of money and that player, and he's doing it for Dortmund. And he's done well for Dortmund, but I'm still not 100% sure. And then as well, and I think you're the same, Matt, is that I'm not sure if that position and paying that kind of money is really needed. If, he was a centre, if it was a centre forward, mm. someone who can play that role and do it well, you know, got another string in his bow, I'd go, yes, Werner was the one. If he'd gone for Werner, I could see that because Werner still likes to pull wide, but he can go through the middle as well. And that's what they need, really. As much as Martial's done what he's done and doing it, he's still not doing it consistently enough. You, he has those little mood swings and you're still not sure. Everyone is still not sure. So you, you back that up by going out and getting someone who you know can do the job, someone that you're actually going to want to play rather than, like an Engalo, leave them on the bench all the time, not even give them the rubber the green. Get someone in there who's young enough, ambitious, and is proving a point. You can't bring them in. There's one player, isn't there, who's we've never really talked about, and perhaps it's because he only recently moved. But Erling Haaland, um, when he moved to Dortmund, I think he's very made, very publicly made clear that he had a is it a sixty million pound release clause in mm. in the Dortmund contract what he was signing. So um, I I don't know what you'd say about someone who's a son of a Man City legend and wants to play for Leeds. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> he'd suit. Maybe not fit. Not ambitious, I suppose. Really, I think you've got to have a little bit more than that. But I mean, he, yeah, there was an opportunity initially, but there was all these reasons maybe why it didn't happen and whatever's gone on there. But he's decided that that's what he's wanted to, you know, what he wanted to go and do. I, I really don't understand when you had an opportunity to go and sign for Manchester United, why he didn't go and grab that because he's given us, yeah, United in their, in their own domestic league and not as strong as what Dortmund are in their own domestic league. But when you look at it as a football club, the, you know, the, the step on in the way you put yourself out there you, you, you show yourself that you, the ambition to play in a big club for a big club but more than anything the ambition or the proof you, you want to prove yourself that you can go and do it for a club like Manchester United when times are tough and when things get better for Manchester United you are, you are in cruise mode then because you've dug, you've dug deep in the hard times and he didn't take that one on which concerns me really, for a player not to go and do that. Mm. Um, talking about one midfielder who um, might or might not live up to um, the billing at Old Trafford, one certainly did 24 years ago today, David Beckham, um, scored from the halfway line 24 years ago today, Paul. Um, you just signed for Derby County, and you mm. played your first game at Derby on that day, 3-3 draw with Leeds, I believe. Um can you remember hearing the news about Beckham scoring that goal and, and watching it for the first time? Well, I still hear news now about Manchester United, and I believe we left that long ago. <laughs> so, I don't, you know, you, it's not about not wanting to. I mean, Christ Almighty, if, you, if you'd left United, you'd never want to hear their name again. I don't know where you'd go. I'd have to go on the moon, wouldn't I, really, <laughs> not to find out? You know, so, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, yeah, you hear about everything. Everyone wanted to talk about it. If anyone scored a goal from the halfway line now, people go, yeah, OK, and they'll just get on with it now. But at that given time, and given the fact of the, um, 
what it, what he was as a player, what the club was at that given time, the stature of the club, the players that were at that club, the young players coming through, everything at that given time was just highlighted, absolutely incredible. In really then, a very, very small media circle compared to now. Yeah. You know, so... Yes, to answer your question, yes, I definitely heard about it while I was at Derby County, while I was playing in the game, drawing 3-3 with Leeds and getting a load of crap off of Leeds fans. <laughs> um, Matt, it's an interesting one, the Beckham goal, because um, obviously you're, you're a little baby, aren't you, compared to me and Paul, but um, I'm sure you, you're familiar enough with the history to know um, what that goal meant, and you've seen it many times, uh, many enough to... Um, know the sort of historical relevance and significance of it it was you know we didn't know really what the class of 92 were capable of apart from Ryan Giggs who looked like he could be one of the best players in the world but the rest of them they'd just come into the first team the previous season they'd been that you can't win anything with kids and then they'd won the league and cup double but you still didn't know what are they capable of what is their ceiling and when Beckham did that from the halfway line it was kind of like, there's no ceiling for these lads. They could be the, the best ever. It's um, a strange thing, isn't it, in, in history? I mean, obviously you won't remember it now, but looking back at it and, and seeing as as it panned out, you know, to, to understand the significance of that goal, it's, it's difficult to downplay it, isn't it? Yeah, obviously a massive moment in a, uh, a massive career and, and one that, you know, uh, that had a massive impact on a, on a massive club, so... Uh, I think it's it's a it's a moment that always stands out in history. I think every every anniversary of that goal, um, you know, you log onto Twitter, or Facebook, whatever, and you you start seeing the um, the, the vision come through, and yeah, um, it's just an incredible goal from an incredible player, um, and and obviously what the club would go on to achieve with that that class of players, um, I think in many ways you know lives up to. To the standard of that particular moment and, and that particular goal, because it, like you say, it was a, a moment in time where um, you know I think the the true quality of um, not just of Beckham obviously as an individual, but um, as as a symbol for I guess the the other young young players around him really really shone through. And um, yeah, obviously history would go on to show that they they would live up to that that billing and and and. You know, it's one thing to have potential, and you, we always talk about potential, and we're always looking for the next big thing. But it's it's a rare thing to see um, potential fulfilled, and and potentially, and especially potential of such a of so many players from one club at the same time. Um, so, if that goal was the uh, the moment that that proved that was possible for for those lads, then uh, it was it was definitely a, a big moment in the history of uh, Manchester United. Yeah. Uh, Paul, and where does it stand? You've talked about players have done it since, but is that, I mean, for me it is, but is it the best goal from the halfway line that you've seen? I think you have to say yes, just because of when it was done, how it was done, and what was what it was at that given time. Everything about the club, those young players at that time who had just come in, and, you know, young players, <clears throat> you know, had, at that given time, it didn't really... Not highlighted, but I think that, that was just a big highlight of Manchester United at that time, and and just the way the those those young players come and express themselves, and the way that a manager was so t 
talked about him so freely with so much ex- so much excitement. He was proud just to what he's got and achieve, and he had so much belief in him. And it wasn't it wasn't a fingers crossed one. I hope this works out. He actually he knew that was gonna that was gonna all materialise out in the way it did. He knew it was gonna happen. He'd spent all his time telling us in the dressing room about these players and where they played and whose places they were going to take. He he thrived in it. He used to have that little chuckle underneath and, you, and you'd be sitting there and you'd be going, did he mean that or not? Is he like virtually like, oh, he's going to take your place in mid, you know, he's going to take your place at right back or he's going to do this. And, and he did it to everybody, but he was proud of those young players. You know, and, you know, he's proud of the fact that Eric Harrison was doing such a good job with Vermont. Everything that went along with it, and, and just being a player there, we got on with it and we accepted it. We weren't bitter or twisted or looked down at them, you know, or bullied them or anything like that because they were young lads, they were good players, and it wasn't what the club was about, about and that thing about knocking them. The club was about young players getting the opportunity to come through. But Sir Alex had this way of, you know, in more ways than one, in choosing the players who were right who he believed could come through. There's been a lot of people throw up the negatives and say, oh, what about him? What about him? He gave them the opportunity to, to see what they could do and he had a way of knowing if they could prolong their, their career at United and play regular. And then, yes, there was a lot of them. It never went on for them. But those players went out and they got moved to other clubs. But they got an opportunity to wear that red jersey. Yeah, which is um, something that I'm sure Matt and I... Um, <laughs> we have wore jerseys. We're just <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I've wore it to football training a few times. But <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite the same, is it? Um, yeah, uh, certainly not scored from the halfway line for Manchester United. Um, yeah, that's it for this week. Um, thanks, Matt, for popping on, um, and as always, thanks to Paul for his time. Um, remember, you can use TOTD10 for a 10% discount with classic football shirts exclusively for Talking Devils listeners. Um, if you enjoyed the show, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We will be picking a winner for a copy of my bi- biography of Jimmy Murphy, but you will have to get reviewing because I'm not just going to give it away if you don't. Um, so there, you've been told. Um, and check out the stuff on the website, like I said, I mentioned earlier. Uh, Matt's done a, a sort of season recap, um, talking about um, where United are at the present as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's on there as well. Um, that's it for this week. Take care, and we will be back soon. <laughs>